Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. I am Eric Acker, the host with Karen. Hey guys. So we are uh, doing this another day late again. Uh, we might end up just making Thursday the new podcast release day at this rate, but... <laughs> I had gotten a, a last-minute research assignment. That, well, I was told to research some things to be able to present it today, and so I wanted to spend a little bit more time doing that just because it's, you know, my first two weeks in the residency. I don't want to look like the dumbest person in the residency, so that's, that is where we, we started. Um, but uh, let's see what... Anything on the home side, Karen? On the home side? Uh, well. <laughs> Talking to the microphone. <laughs> uh, we are trying to do a family outing or event or thing when Eric has his day off. So we did go to the zoo. We've gone twice now. Um, the kids quite enjoy that. I think we have almost made it through the whole zoo between the two trips. Yeah, we've gotten pretty close to the... Uh, we've gotten close to the midway point going from both ends so yeah and i think i think we have figured out that if you enter from the africa side it is significantly better than entering from the main entrance less crowded is what you mean yes um it's not to say that pushing two kids in a stroller having one strapped to karen for a brief minute and then another two walking in 90 degree heat is any what any bit easier no we've made it about an hour and a half to two hours and that's about our 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 breaking point <laughs> yeah we start losing shoes we start, <laughs> kids start wanting to strip off clothes um start having these really petty fights over water fountains uh yes yeah. so we have invested in our one of our prime day purchases were those lovely little fans that attach to the stroller. I got one. Oh, I forgot about those. Yeah, I got one to attach to the front of the stroller to blow onto the kids, and one to attach to the handle of the stroller to blow on the adult pushing the kids. It's aspirational. <laughs> I, I only imagine one of those working. Well, I mean, they're both going to work, quote and unquote, but I imagine the kids are going to mess with the other one and not have it actually blowing on them because that's what kids do. They. Eh. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, you put it on, on the baby's side and it'll probably be fine. <laughs> yeah. And the, the zoo is actually, I'm not, I think it's near Greensboro. Um, it's near, it's not in Greensboro. It's near Greensboro, North Carolina, which is about hour and a half. Hour and a half away. Um, so it's not a bad drive. Um, pretty, pretty reasonable. I know we eventually are going to want to go to like the beach area. There's different parts of the state we wouldn't mind going to, but really just trying to take advantage of that day off and, have some family time and <laughs> the zoo we got we got the annual membership so we can go as often as we want so we've gone twice which is basically paid for the paid for the zoo pass. going going once with our family size paid for the paid for the yearly pass so anything past that we're we're, we're doing pretty in, good yeah we're doing pretty good <laughs> so uh that's we did that on saturday i 
believe. So I, I actually did end up having to work over the weekend. Uh, I had um, another resident. Uh, we worked out that she worked on Saturday. I worked on Sunday. Um, and so <laughs> we did that. It's uh, a little unfortunate. I feel like internal medicine kind of gets the short end of the stick. As far. I'm not trying to complain. It's, it's definitely going to, it is complaining. But <laughs> uh, like internal medicine gets the short end of the stick in this because like we have a psych resident on our rotation with us. And we were getting close to the weekend and our attending looks at us and goes, oh, so she's psych, right? Okay, well, the psych, you're not going to work on the weekends. Uh, internal medicine, you work on the weekends. And it's just like, ah, I was looking forward to a, you know, a two day weekend on a off service rotation. You know, that, that would have been nice, but you know, six days a week, you know, and then, uh, next Monday, well, this upcoming Monday, I start on internal medicine rotation, inpatient rotation. So I, I will have three weeks of that. (laughs) And so... and just looking at the schedule, it does look like you have one day off a week. Yeah, in, yeah. And for internal medicine services, we typically have six days on, one day off. Uh, I have heard of situations where residents will have two weeks on, basically, and then they have, might have two days off in a row uh, because they're trying to average one day off per week. Uh, so that's the general rule of thumb is you're supposed to average one day off per week, and sometimes it doesn't always work out that you get one day off in a week. Um, but that's also the same as like you're supposed to average 80 hours a week, and not necessarily only have 80 hours a week. So it's a it's it's different. Um, but the internal medicine uh, services starts on um, Monday. Monday, and I actually I actually don't know how this weekend's going to go. To be completely honest. Because on Monday we had another attendee. We, we got a new attendee on Monday, and he and we also got another resident, a third year resident, joined the services on Monday as well. So we had uh, three, four, four residents, one medical student plus a nurse practitioner on the team. And so the attending said, "I have way too many residents," and basically said, "One of you, uh, not psych, and not the third year." basically me and the other intern need, could choose between ourselves who wants to go to the outpatient side of neurology. And after a few awkward silences, a few moments of awkward silence, the other resident was like, hey, I haven't done outpatient neurology, so I'll like to do that. So she's doing that, but usually outpatient neurology doesn't do weekends. And <laughs> so it would be just me and the third-year resident, who's actually the chief resident, um, that might be on duty this weekend, and I just don't know. Also, this is, this is a different attending. I don't know if this attending is going to be like, take the weekend off, don't worry about it, or if he's going to be like, yeah, come on in. We're going we're gonna to learn. Um, so I don't know. As I told the other residents, we're, I was going to wait until Thursday or Friday, Friday, basically Friday, this attending said, and hope by Friday afternoon, if he didn't say anything, have to ask him. I'm hoping he just tells me, take the weekend off, but we're we're not going to prompt him at this moment. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. And the rotation's going, oh, by and large, the rotation's going well. The different attendings have different styles. So uh, last week I had uh, Dr. Jamal, Jamal, um, uh, she was very nice, taught a lot, 
but her style was more or less we would meet together in the morning in her office and the team would go through the entire list she would assign us patients and then she would tell us very directly go see this patient and these are the things i want you to look into ask and find out and then when you come back present to me and let me know what you find out and so that was essentially how it went so we would go see the patients we would let them know when we're ready to present. We would present to her. She would make any corrections to our ideas and plans. She would give us her feedback. And then we would go write the note and be done. And that was basically it. I mean, we could get consults later in the day that could be added to your schedule. Um, but generally speaking, that was about it. A lot of times we could leave probably around 3, 4 o'clock uh, in the afternoon. So that was generally nice. And on, on Sunday, I mean, as much as I worked on Sunday, I came in at 8. I left by 1. So... It wasn't the worst shift I've ever done. <laughs> so, um, but Dr. Bachelor is a bit different. He, he does a lot more teaching. So the way it works when we're on his service, uh, he, the nurse practitioner will send us the list of patients and say, pick, uh, you know, she either assign us patients or she will have us pick amongst ourselves. And so we do that. We go see the patient we do all the research on them, and then they say, randomly, they'll say, hey, we're meeting at 10.15 to run the list. And so we have to meet at the office at 10.15 and run the list. Uh, sometimes, like today, get a text message saying, hey, we're meeting in the office now. And you're like, oh, I still haven't seen that second patient, so I'll see you in 10. Um, well, you don't say the first part. You just say the second part. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I, I was I was meeting with one of the patients, and I got that message. And I was like, well, I, I have to meet the second patient. I don't want to be that guy who hasn't seen his patients and then try to present based off of other people's notes. So I was like, I'll see you guys in 10. And it worked out well. The patient, Thankfully, the patient wasn't like a talker. So the second patient, <laughs> I was able to see, do everything I needed to do and, and scoot upstairs. And everyone else was just just getting there at the same time, too, so it was perfect. Anyway, we run the list, and we run it for hours. Uh, like I think we started at 10 o'clock today, and we run it until, like, I don't know, we, we go over every patient we discuss. He does a lot of teaching. He talks through everything. He gives us his political opinion. Sometimes we deviate and talk about his beach house. Sometimes we deviate <laughs> and talk about... Um, more controversial topics like uh, transgenders in uh, women's sports, but <laughs> I, I've learned I've learned a, a few lessons from uh, my previous neurology rotation, which is shut up and <laughs> don't give any opinions because like it doesn't matter if your opinions the same opinions as the attending, it's probably going to be the wrong opinion. Uh, so I just. I don't really contribute to these conversations in a in a large way. How much does that hurt, babe? How much does that hurt? <laughs> it hurts a little bit, but it's okay. Um, by and large, I feel like I'm in good company. So uh, by and large, uh, so I don't really feel like I have to contribute. Um, I don't feel that urge anyway. So we, but we we talk and we go over everything, and probably about one. 1.30 is when we leave the office and go to the floor and we go see all the patients. We And the, seeing the patients is really quick. Well, we see each patient very quickly, but we have a, a number of patients to see. So, And the way it works in the hospital, you go everywhere in the hospital. You just go wherever the patients are. So ICU, ER, uh, 1 North, 2nd Floor, th <laughs> 3 South, 7th uh, Floor. Like You go all over the place. So... And it's, I mean, it's neurology service, right? Like, it's not like the residency floors where you have 
like two south, three south, eight south, that are all residency uh, floors. Residents see the patients on those floors. Um, so anyway, uh, we do all that, and probably about three, three thirty is when we're, we're released from rounds to go write our notes. And so we write our notes, and we might still get a consult at some point in there that we might have to go see. But generally, we just write our notes, um, sign them, and well, we add them as his co-signer, sign them, and send them off to him. And then uh, we're good. If we do end up having to uh, consult another patient, we do have to go see the patient and then call the attending. Uh, he's not usually in his office. I'm not sure where he's at, but we end up having to call and and present to him over the phone, which honestly, I, I do not do a very good job over the phone on presenting. So um, overall, <laughs> it's been it's been pretty good. I don't know. Uh, longer longer hours, I think, is probably the better way to describe this week. Not not terrible, but not terrible. Monday, you got out around seven, but that was the latest you've been. So Monday kind of was a, a weird situation because like. You got two after. I, I had like, my, I had like two from early in the day. And like Karen said, I got two later in the day. Like one, I got I got at like three thirty, and then I got another one. Let's see, how did this go? I got one at three thirty in the ICU. So I went and researched that patient, and I went and go see the patient. And then as I was talking to the the team, the medical team up there about the patient, it's just to kind of get a better understanding of what they were looking at. Uh, one of the team members was like, hey, are you going to go see 19? And I was like, um, I don't have 19 on my list. And then they like, oh, you have to message neurology to get them on the console. And so that resident went ahead and was going to message neurology. And so I messaged the NP, giving her the heads up, like we're going to probably get another console. And that I could, and she, so the NP was like, you can take, uh, I'm going to assign it to one of the other residents. And I was like, ooh, I think that other resident is like she was picking up furniture or something. So I was like, I think she's picking up furniture at two, at four fifteen. So like I can just take it. It's fine. And so she's like, okay, well, if you want to. So I, I'm going to go ahead and take this patient in the ICU. And at the same time, one of the, one of our patients got a rapid, um, called out over the intercom. So I was like, I should go see what that rapid is about. Cause that's one of my patients I saw today. So I went and did that. And then the rapid was pretty quick and simple. Uh, more of that story is uh, you should just give medications in the morning <laughs> to your patients. Not not me, uh, <laughs> but patients should get medications in the mornings before they go off and do procedures for hours. Um, so uh, yeah, so I did the rap. I just I watched the rap. I didn't do anything in it. And then I went to go see, uh, I went and presented my first ICU patient. I went and saw my second ICU patient. I went and presented that one, which went better than the first one. But the first, you know, it's, okay, so it's easier to do the, the second one was easier because the patient uh, was comatose. Uh, <laughs> that one was hard for you, though, because you you were basically being asked if the patient was yeah, I was, I was asked for prognostic, uh, the, the consult was for neuro, neurologic prognostication. And it was essentially, what is the prognosis for this patient? She has been on vents, she is um, pacemaker dependent, and uh, yeah, there was kind of a whole bunch of stuff going on there, but essentially they had weaned the patient off of sedation, and uh, she wasn't awake alert 
So it was just, you know, no sedation on event, pacemaker dependent. So the question was like, is this hypoxic brain injury? Is this something different? What's the chances this patient wakes up? So <laughs> that's like, whoa, that's a, a bit a bit over my head as far as intern level goes, as far as like knowing like what's the chances someone wakes up from this sort of situation. But, you know, I just went and did my physical exam, um, which I, I didn't do perfectly well. I think I, I did do like eye pupils and pain stimuli. But apparently when I went to present, he was like, did you do gag reflexes? And I was like, nope, <laughs> I've never... I never had to do a gag reflex test on a patient. Um, apparently, it's not that hard when they're intubated. There's like a little thing that you just pull on and you can induce a gag reflex in a patient like that. But I've never done it before. I've never been taught it. So I'll eventually get taught that. I'm sure an ICU rotation. But in any case, uh, <laughs> I, I ended up, I think, by like 5 o'clock being done with those patients and then being like, okay, now it's time to write notes and... And then I was getting messages on top of that for other things. So um, it was it was interesting for sure. It was a, a long day. Um, this, what, today is Wednesday? I keep <laughs> today losing, is Wednesday. I keep Tomorrow's Thursday. Tomorrow's didactics. Sometimes you get you kind of look forward to like, th- so Thursday is didactics, which basically means from like 12 to 4 is protected time. So we leave our services and learn stuff we do attend lectures which isn't always exciting i think oh gosh we had one lecture last week that was on coding and it was like an hour of someone talking about how we should code things which like i haven't even been in the continuity clinic so i don't even know how any of this stuff works and i haven't really been to the part of the chart where you have to code and so I was just like, I don't know what's going on. And this is But he does know that it is important from his time oh at working at the Vancouver Clinic. Yeah, but like somebody's <laughs> like, Oh, what what modifier and what would you use for this? Like this patient does this, this, and this. What modifier would you use? And I was just like, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I mean I do, but it's at the same time it's like, oh my gosh, having been in the continuity clinic, I don't even know the context of some of this stuff. Like I feel like I need to be there and and do it and not just be ta- told how to do it. Um, so sometimes uh, didactics can be a little tedious. I mean, mostly it's teaching. Um, most of the didactics is definitely about teaching. They do case report um, first, and then they have other lectures. Uh, for, I think we had a, a lecture on, oh gosh, what was it called? It was... Um, critical care or something our, our program cord our program director did it and it was on the topic was on the unstable patient and essentially he's he's looking at uh unstable patients showing up uh in the critical care unit or just on the floor when the patient becomes unstable uh looking primarily at the um pulse pressure differences uh whether it's wide or narrow and by using that kind of formula of you know diastolic or systolic blood pressure minus diastolic blood pressure, you can divide a lot of your shocks into um, narrow versus wide. So basically, the narrow ones are your hypovolemics, your cardiogenics, your obstructives, while vi- wide ones are generally your distributed shocks. So um, distributed shocks kind of has a lot of different categories underneath it. has like septic shock, neurogenic, anaphylaxic, adrenal insufficiency, liver failure. So you have a lot of different things. So 
in in general, that's kind of what we went over. I, I would go a little bit more in depth of this, and uh, if I'm going to be completely truthful, I did try a second ago. We were just re-recording over it because I completely made it made a, a horrible. Uh, <laughs> try explaining any of this so I would recommend looking into it and I think it was a good way of looking at uh, how, to, how to approach a patient who is unstable is looking at the pulse pressure and if a patient's crashing the heart rate's going down or the blood pressure's going up just looking at the pulse pressure um, and is it different is it um, wide or is it narrow and then going from there, like, okay, because not every patient who has shock is hypotensive. They could be hypertensive until they become hypotensive. So people who are in shock sometimes are compensating before they crash. So uh, if you can start looking at it in this particular way, you could potentially intervene before the patient completely crashes on you. That was essentially what our program director was trying to get across. So I would look at, again, look at um, all those different types of shocks um, and just understand the physiological causes of them because that's where you're going to go, okay, is it because the heart rate's going up and the systolic's going up or is it because of the peripheral uh, systemic resistance is going up and that's why the diastolic uh diastolic blood pressure is going up, causing the narrow. Anyway, so it's stuff to kind of consider as well. Um, anyway. All stuff you should know for step three. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's what we're, yeah, and we got some different news this week. We were initially trying to figure out, and I thought we had kind of come to a decision on how and when I was going to take step three. We did. We took, so we talked to several people. So Eric talked to a couple people from this program, as well as um, Matt Barvo from Trinity, who's now at, now uh, at Creighton, Creighton in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple schools of thought. Some some said just take it right away, get it, study for two or three months, take it right away, get it out. Of well, not a whole lot is expected of you of, of your intern year. Um, the other thought was. If you take it later on, you you're going to you, have a lot more experience to lean on. You're going to be more efficient in your work, so you might end up actually having more time to do stuff a little bit later in your first year as opposed to earlier. So those are the competing thoughts. And uh, what was I guess, appealing to me was the latter one uh, because it fit really well with the procrastination mentality, but also because it was um, later uh, and that, that idea of I, I can learn a whole bunch on the job doing the work and I can get more efficient and I have more study time. So like all that stuff was like, this is going to be great. I can be able to study for step three. I'll be efficient with my work. I'll be learning on my job and I'll be learning um, via studying. So that seems to be the most efficient way to do it. Well, and we had kind of looked at his schedule as it was mapped out and there wa- there is... So we are going to be moving it to the earlier slot when he's on. We'll, we'll, we'll go back into that. Yeah. We were looking at his schedule, and there were two like slots in his schedule where we thought having that study time would be um, Very more doable. Very possible doable, yeah. Um, just with the specialties he was on and the um, types of I mean, rotations. I essentially, we were trying to avoid critical care. Uh, weeks that I was on critical care, like if I was going to be in dedicated study, you don't want to have half that time while you're on critical ter- care teams because 
those are 14 hour days, six days a week. Uh, so finding time to study is going to be very limited. And then uh, on the internal medicine uh, inpatient wards was also another one of those that you was recommended to maybe avoid because the the schedule can be very tricky. Another one of those six days a week. Uh, so a lot of the recommendation was like, hey, on admit team, your schedule is pretty, pretty regular. When you're on an outpatient elective, those are pretty regular schedules. Sometimes you get weekends off, apparently. Uh, and that will give you a lot of time to study and be prepared for your step three. And so that's what we, we, we found those little time slots. It was like, oh, there was one like in October and then there was one in March as well. It was like a little block in March. Uh, so I think we were initially planning on do, going for the March one just because it was available and give us kind of fit that schedule of a little bit later in the, the intern year. Um, and again, just kind of reiterating a little bit more experience, a little bit more knowledge, better efficiency. Kind of seemed like that would be the sweet spot. But uh, just today, we actually got a notice from our program basically saying we need to have our step three completed by March 2024. So it's like, well, I don't really want to wait literally until March until when the deadline is to take the exam. So um, I think we're going to push that up to an earlier date, which will yeah. be fun. <laughs> It'll be a little bit added on. So, um, but we're going to stick with you world as well as what was the other it resource? Was, um, it was, uh, oh gosh, CCS path, uh, CCS cases. So the, the, there's basically three resources I'm, I'm using uh, more consistently at this moment. But so you world for sure you world step two, Step three, Step three with, uh, which, which comes with, the, of course, the question bank and the, the self-assessment exam. Um, and then I was going to also do CCS cases, which a lot of people have uh, really sworn by. As, uh, it's because um, step three, from how I understand it, is essentially you have your, your computerized test like you would have in step one, two, and three. Or step one and two. You have the computerized test. And then you have day two, which is more use a case now you need to, what do you order? What do you do with the patient? You know, and you have to do all the ordering and have to basically handle this patient from start to finish. And they grade you on how you do all that. And so that's why you have the CCS cases. I think UWorld also has a little key, a little bit of that going on too to help you prepare for that. So it's a two-day ordeal uh, all in all. Uh, generally, I don't know, a lot of feedback from residents are, it's no big deal, take it, you'll be done. No big deal. And I appreciate that, but I'm not the greatest test taker there is. So <laughs> as much as um, I like that idea that I can just study for one month and take it and be done, I kind of am a little bit more anxious about it. And I really want to do a decent job on the exam, even though I know in many cases, step three doesn't uh, particularly matter. Uh, maybe for fellowship, I'm, it might matter for me. So I'm not really sure. But passing it is certainly a high priority and I have met residents who haven't passed step three and I have met people who've struggled to get past step three so I don't want to not take it very seriously and just assume it'll be easy for me because uh, what is easy for some people is certainly has not been easy for me so uh, that that is our, our current now plan where I now need to figure out how to get a form notarized and then pay them 
another thousand dollars and request <laughs> my program to reimburse well actually it'd be fifteen hundred because we're gonna yeah. buy U World which is probably around four eighty and then we're going to do uh the uh the step three registration which is about a thousand dollars. So all total about fifteen hundred dollars, which my program will pay for, but that will eat up my entire CME credit for the year. Uh, which actually does remind me, I, I was also given a, a case report by my pr- attending today. He's like, this is a really neat case. If you want to write it up, if anyone wants to write it up, they can probably get it published. And so I'm like, oh, I do need a case report. <laughs> you know, I do need to get at least one done every year. So I was like, I'll take it. And now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, I wonder how that's going to work with no CME money in my bank. Like, I might need to try to recruit a second year resident to to work with me on it so that they can use their CME money to pay for the any publishing fees. But we'll see. Uh, we're one step at a time. Write up the case first. Um, oh, gosh, what else is going on? I think um, that's the main things. I mean, we're, we're still doing odd things around the house, trying to get things going. Uh, I think we've... <laughs> we fix one thing and then something else gets broken. So, like, Eric replace the toilet seats because one of them was not did not have a lid and um in in replacing the toilet seats the kids decided to hang on the, the towel, towel rack the and, towel rod and, and that they got broke that off the wall, the wall. <laughs> so now i have to fix that <laughs> <laughs> but we replaced the weather stripping on the on the back door which has helped with um keeping the house a little bit cooler but um, the transition piece from our, our hallway to our bathroom came off. So, you know, you replace something and then something else happens. And that's okay. But <laughs> they're all little things. Um, but I sometimes I think Eric just feels like he can't get ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's usually a never-ending list of things to fix and do. And uh, obviously having as many kids as we do... Uh, and especially uh, one or two of them are a little bit more destructive than the others. We're just kind of constantly finding new things that they've broken and need to be fixed. So hopefully if we can chip away a little bit here and there, we can we can be uh, reasonably functional. But you know, anyway, I it's it's just, you know, it's all part of life, you know. <laughs> uh, the, the kids will break stuff. We don't have endless money, so uh, the general rule of thumb is, is that fix you, you fix it. Um it's like if you want nice things, you just have to fix um, broken, ugly things and make them nice. So that's the kind of rule of them we're going with. We don't have money to buy new nice things, so fix the broken stuff. Um, yeah, poor Eric. He comes home every day and something is in a different spot. I'm still trying to figure out where everything is going. So Yeah, not, <laughs> we're not in love with the kitchen, but it's okay. Right, right now we're, we're figuring it out. But make the house functional and... Yeah, um, yeah, that's essentially what we've been kind of working on right now. Um, I don't know, we've been, we've been doing a lot, and the neurology, I, I do want to, I guess, kind of address, I think we did that Instagram post, and uh, I made kind of an allusion to a case I was working on, and it is an interesting one, kind of how medicine can be a little messy and not as uh, straightforward as you would like it to be, like if you... You're treating a patient, and they have a uh, a stroke, a hemorrhagic stroke. You kind of want to you you want to avoid the blood thinners. You don't want to keep the you don't want to basically feed the bleed, and so I 
the straightforward answer is, oh, no blood thinners. And then if you add in the fact that the patient has AFib, then you're like, oh, maybe we should um, we should have blood thinners on this patient. And then you add in the fact that the patient has a DVT, and you're like, ooh, we don't really want that DVT to move up and become a pulmonary embolism. So maybe we should heparinize the patient. But again, heparinizing is blood thinning, and blood thinning can cause bra- brain bleed to get worse. And so you're, you're trying to figure out like what's best for this patient. I, th- I think we ended up settling on an IVC filter and like aspirin for a couple, a couple of days, recheck the CT and see if the bleed has gotten worse. It's a, a compromise we made with the patient's family. So, uh, but again, it's one of those situations where it's like, it's not textbook. It's not like how you would want it. Cause you're, you're, you're balancing that risk. Uh, in this particular case where you have a hemorrhagic bleed of unknown length, like this patient could have had a bleed three weeks ago. They could have had it yesterday before they came into the hospital. We're not really clear on when this stuff started happening. Because that's not, not particularly clear on the imaging either. And the patient's history is not particularly great either. Um, so you don't know when... How long this bleed has been around? Maybe it's clotted up and you're good to go. You can do uh, blood thinning medications, but you're just not sure. But then, of course, she ha- this patient has AFib, and AFib in an older patient, female. So you just go AFib, one point, female, one point, um, stroke, one point, diabetic, another point. You're already up to, like, four points. Four, and, like, you just need, like, I think two or three on the Chad Bass scale, two or three points on the chat fast scale for this patient to be on uh, anti-coag. So, like, maybe they should be on aspirin. Maybe they should be on Eliquis um, because, like, if they're not, they could get a clot in the heart and then throw that clot to the brain, and then you have another stroke. And so it's like, okay, do we want to risk a bleed in the brain or another stroke? And then, of course, with the PE, you're like, okay, do we, do we want to risk a PE or do we want to get rid of that clot? Like, so it's um, a lot of concerns there. And so, like, again, that's when medicine's a little messy because you just try to weigh all the risk and you talk to the patient, you talk to the family, and, like, this is what we're looking at, this is the risk, this is what I would do from our standpoint, and what? how do you guys feel about that? And I think initially we were going with no antiplatelet, no anti-coag, and then the patient's family was like, well, how about we just do aspirin? And they're like, okay, we can do aspirin for a couple of days. Then we check to see if the bleed has gotten better or worse. And so that's what we got went with. <laughs> um, so it's a it's a messy thing. It's also confusing. It's also frustrating. It's like a lot of things to remember all at once. And um, I'm trying to remind myself, like I'm an intern. It's my second week. I'm not supposed to know it all. Um, and it's nice to look at the third years, the the chief resident, and be like, oh. He seems to have it pretty well in hand, and he sees the bigger picture, and maybe that could be me in three years. So I'm, I'm hoping, we're hoping we're heading that direction. But uh, we probably should wrap it up. Our, our daughter is getting fed, but who knows how long she'll last before. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry if this podcast. I hopefully we splice it well enough, but it's been a little just disjointed we- with uh, computer problems and multiple children waking up. So. Um, thanks for sticking with us and, um, we hope you guys had a good fourth and a good week. And as always, follow us on MedFamilyMD on Instagram. Um, feel free to ask us any questions or... You're not even anywhere close to the microphone. 
Sorry. <laughs> Feed the kid and talk close to the microphone. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, like Karen said, Med Family MD on Twitter, uh, not Twitter, uh, Instagram, and then follow us on any of the major po- podcasting platforms. Um, we will talk to you guys again next week. Bye.